I've entitled this sermon, uh, The Burden Bearer for Those Burdened by Their Sin. Can y'all hear me okay out there? All right. I'm going to read it and then I'll pray for us. And to put it in context, Isaiah was written probably around 700 B.C. And so we're traveling back 700 years before the coming of the Lord Jesus. And this is what Isaiah says about the Lord Jesus. Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned, every one of us, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep, that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear all their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul even to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many, and he makes intercession for the transgressors. Let's pray. Our Father, our God, our King, our Lord, the only wise one, we bow before you now and pray for wisdom and insight and unction and comfort and hope that faith would come by hearing, that we would leave here today hearing the gospel and believing it more. That though we come here burdened and weighed down with life and our sin, we pray that today we might see you as the one who bears our iniquities for us. 
Be pleased with our time, O oh Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a story of a man who went to a doctor and his back was hurting and the doctor asked him a battery of questions. Is it how you sleep? Is it how you're sitting at work? And it puzzled the doctor because uh, they, he did an x-ray and he, he did indeed see that the man's uh, back was out of alignment. And so at first the doctor sent him to a chiropractor. The doctor recommended a massage therapist, but the, th the doctor could not figure out what was causing this severe back pain. And then the doctor saw the man in public and he saw the man uh, at a restaurant and he saw that he saw the culprit and the culprit was this really heavy book bag that this guy was carrying around with him everywhere he went. And the doctor says, that's it right there. That burden that you're carrying on your back, bring it here and let me see how heavy it was. And so the man was in med school and there was a ton of books in the book bag and, and he is sort of doing what most men would do rather than getting our books we need for our class and going to class and coming back to our dorm or back to our car to get the books we need for the next class. This guy had this bright idea that he's gonna pile in his backpack all the books that he needed for the day to save himself a trip. And the doctor tells him, brother, that is hurting you. That is harming you. That is the root of your pain. You were not designed to carry that much weight. When you think about it, you know God did not design humans to carry big burdens. And my household, we love to watch Animal Planet and we love to watch Planet Earth. And if you can, I'm gonna do a, a really bad imitation of my British voice, <laughs> but there's this guy and he says, uh, can you guess the world's strongest animals? And it kind of comes on and, and of course, we're looking at that and we're thinking, okay, it's gonna be an elephant, it's gonna be a lion, it's gonna be you know, a whale. And he says, if you guess these animals, then you guessed wrong. And he says the, the strongest animal in the world is actually an insect. And he, he, he parades this picture of the dung beetle. And he says, this is the strongest animal in the world. And he starts to tell you these statistics of dung beetles, how they can carry 1,100 times their body weight, which would be equivalent to a human being carrying 80 tons. And he says, if you thought that human beings are even in the top 10, you're wrong. The second strongest animal is the rhinoceros beetle. And he can carry 850 times his body weight. That's equivalent to humans carrying 65 tons. And if you thought humans were the third strongest, you're wrong. That's an ant. An ant can carry 50 times its body weight. And of course, there are other animals like elephants. They're in the top 10. And guess who's nowhere to be found in the top 10? It's humans. crown of creation, made in the image of God, and yet God did not design us to carry burdens alone. He's given that strength to animals and to insects, but not to humans. And he did that for a reason. There's another burden that humans are not designed to carry. And that is the burden of your sin. The crushing weight that comes with your sin. 
the Lord says, I did not create you to carry that. And what Isaiah does in our text is he actually shows us the burden of sin. He writes about it and he uses vivid metaphor and descriptive language to communicate the same idea. And you see it in, in, in verse four. He says, surely he has borne our griefs. That idea of he is carrying something. Look at, he repeats it in the same line. He has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. So you get that image right there. And he says it again in verse six. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You get the language again in, in verse 12. Where he says, yet he bore the sin of many. And so what Isaiah is sort of doing throughout this passage is talking about the crushing weight of sin the crushing weight of our transgressions. And you see that relationship, the grief in verse four and the sorrows of verse four. You have to look at that in context of verse 10, where the Lord speaks that he will, his soul will make an offering for our guilt. And so the question that we sort of have to ask is, what is this burden? What is this grief? What is producing this sorrow? Look at verse five and verse eight. He was wounded for our transgressions. The beloved, that there is a connection here. That transgressions and sins that we commit, that they are like a crushing weight that is heavy upon not our bodies. They're heavy upon our souls. And in some instances, they start to manifest themselves even in our bodies and they start to affect us. And the psalmist would say that when he did not confess his sins, that his bones dried up. You get the imagery that what's happening to him on a spiritual level is starting to show itself up on a physical level. What's at the root of that? It's sin. Can you relate to this in your own life? When you see the sin of your children and it stings, and it hurts and it feels like a weight, like something is on you. Do you feel this when you see it in the world around us, when we see evil and sin and blatant rebellion against the Lord? Does it feel heavy? When you see the sin in your own hearts and the sin in my own hearts, my own heart, it's heavy. But that's by design. Now, the question that I want to sort of put before us is because I, I would I would say that not everyone feels this. Not everyone is aware of this. And so the question that I want to put before us is what makes that uh, what makes us aware of that? Right. Because I think it's sort of easy to think that because I don't feel it, then the guilt isn't there. And God in his kindness, he, by the Holy Spirit, he brings conviction. And it's a good thing for him to let us feel that weight. But, but, but I want to step back and say, well, what is it that, that, that awakens that? Isaiah can help us. The one who writes a great deal about this burden in chapter 53, which is towards the end of the book, that he also writes, I think, about what creates this burden, but it's at the beginning of the book. You, you, you have to sort of turn back 47 chapters to Isaiah chapter 6 to get a sense of what is it 
that, 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 that causes us to feel the crushing weight of our sin. And Isaiah says, I'm glad you asked because I think he assumes that we're going to read this book uh, as a book and not sort of pick and choose, but we're going to step back from it and see this whole piece of, of beautiful work and say, okay, well, he's, he's talking about this crushing weight of sin. He's talking about this grief. He's talking about transgressions. Well, what is it that makes us feel or aware of this burden? You have to go back to Isaiah chapter six. Now to put Isaiah chapter six in, in its context, Notice what it says in Isaiah chapter six, the way that it begins. It says that in the year that King Uzziah died. And so, so right there, he's talking about a real historical king who was the king of Judah. And there's a great summary of Uzziah in Second Chronicles chapter 26. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to give you some of the backstory. And even in Second Chronicles, there's this connection between Uzziah and Isaiah. So they're both linked up together. And so that's helpful because it, it helps fill in this idea. Uzziah was king of Judah and he became king when he was 16 years old and he reigned for about 52 years. And he, be, and he was a brilliant man. If you read Second Chronicles, that he invented machines. I mean, it's actually in the Bible, right? He invented machines that will allow Israel to, to shoot bow and arrows. He invented machines that would allow Israel to catapult these huge stones when they were in war. And in and, and Second Chronicles, it, I mean, it says that, man, this guy was the truth. I mean, he crushed the Philistines. He crushed all of Israel's enemies. He was second to none. And he had a really long tenure. But he grew prideful. He went into the temple to burn incense, something that was reserved only for the priests. And the priests, they, they tried to warn him. They tried to warn him and say, look, you're a king, but, but, but you can't do this. This, per the law of God, is it, it, for priests and priests alone. And Uzziah, he, he's the king. He's the man. He has military success. And he says, no, I'm going to do it anyway. Who are you to tell me what to do? And the moment he did it, he was struck with leprosy instantaneously. And the text says because he had leprosy, he was secluded and forced to go out. And guess what? He died a leper alone. So when Isaiah says in the year that King Uzziah died, the backdrop of his death is Second Chronicles. Isaiah had watched a friend, a confidant, an ally, a strong and powerful man do great work for the kingdom of God. And in his latter years, he grew prideful and he saw this man who, 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 who arose to the top. But the fall was mighty. And Isaiah is looking at this and saying, who's going to lead us now? But I want to put before you that that is not the chief concern for Isaiah. What's going through his mind is not what happened to our king and where is our hope? What's going through his mind is what kind of God is this that would care about the minutia of who comes in and offers sacrifice? What kind of God is this who would give this man military strength and military might and strategy and success and in one moment would pluck him down? See, that's the real question. 
Who would raise this man up? And who cares about the minutia of incense in a temple? And it is there in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne or on the throne. In other words, even though Uzziah had died, Israel's real king was alive and well. And so Isaiah gets this vision and notice in the vision that, that the Lord is high and lifted up and he's seated on a throne and the train of his robe, it filled the temple. Now, 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 don't mix the metaphor here. The Lord isn't in the temple. The Lord is high and lifted up and just his garments, like the garment is, is filling up the temple. That's the image. He is on the throne and he is so high and lifted up and dignified and glorified that his weight, his, his glory is, is filling up the temple. Isaiah says, that's the vision I saw. And Isaiah saw creatures that he normally didn't see. He sees seraphim, these angelic hosts with wings, wings that cover their face and wings that cover their feet and wings that they fly with. And here's the thing. Why do they have wings? It is not just to fly. They have wings because they are singing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts and the earth is full of his glory. They have these other two sets of wings because they cannot see God in his splendor. They cannot be seen by God in his splendor. And so they cover themselves up in the presence of this holy God. And then Isaiah notices that he's holy, holy, holy. That triad of holy perfection in his holiness, that his whole glory, his whole weightiness, that it fills the earth. The earth is full of his glory. And so not only is he a king, but he is so holy that the seraphim can't look at him. And they sing this to warn the world, don't look at him. Don't treat him with trivialness. This is not a human being. This is the Lord on the throne. And the whole earth is under his gaze. And then Isaiah felt in chapter and verse four, the, 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 the thresholds in the temple that they shook. And who was it shaking? Was there this bulldozer outside plowing against the temple? Isaiah says, no, at the very voice of this king, the foundation shook. How does Isaiah respond to the sight of God on the throne? to the sight of the train of his robe filling the temple, to the sight of the seraphim, to the sound of the seraphim, to the sound of the voice of God. This is sensory overload. But he says it in verse five. He says, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What is it, beloved, that makes Isaiah see his unworthiness? What is it, beloved, that, that, that puts that burden on our backs? And it is not when he is comparing himself to other people. It's when he sees the Lord and this is just a vision, right? Think about it. It's a vision, which I'm still trying to figure out. Like, man, 
This is, the, 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 this is a mental picture or this some type of spiritual state. He is not literally, it literally in the presence of the Lord. This is a picture of the Lord on his glory. And, and he gets this vision and he says to himself, oh my God, I am done. You see the image? That's where the burden comes from. It's not comparing ourselves people to people, man to man, woman to woman, pastor to parishioner. It's not there. It's ourselves before a holy and righteous God. That's where the burden starts to feel heavy. It's like a seesaw that, that, that once you sort of see God enthroned and once you see him as he reveals himself in the scriptures, that we can do nothing but be on our faces before him. It's like a black light, the forensic light sources that, that when you go into a room, it, it looks like there is nothing dirty in here. And the moment they shine that black forensic light on it, the whole room is lit up. Now, here's the thing, that dirt and that blood and that gunpowder was already there, but it took some type of foreign light to shine on it. And now the room looks filthy. That's what Isaiah is saying, that when the light of God's glory and the light of who God is, when we see that, we see all the lint and all the dirt and all the scum in all of our hearts and all of our lives. When the Lord says, worship me and me alone, and we worship other things, burden. When he says, do not use his name in vain, and we treat it trivially, burden. When he says, no idols, and we craft them and serve them, burden. When he says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy and don't do your work, and we either do our work and can't stop thinking about work, or we forsake the gathering of the saints because we want to watch football or we stay up late. We stay up so late on Saturday that we're half hearted in worship burden. When he says, honor your father and mother and we dishonor them and deceive them and lie to them and think bad thoughts about them. He says, burden. When he says, do not murder and we call brothers and sisters fools. When we justify racism, when we side with crooked legal systems that constantly treat black bodies as worthless. When we rob and steal and take in order to, to steal, to take another person's wallet. When we do nothing to stop the murdering of innocent children, it's all burden when we contribute to the industry that dehumanizes and objectifies women the pornography and sex trafficking business every click feeds and funds that industry it's burden when we lie to protect our image our reputation or estate it's burden when we desire another person's spouse body status wealth reputation it's burden burden because these are all God's holy commandments. Life matters. Contentment matters. Intimacy with your own spouse matters. Learning to work and learning to rest, it matters. Contentment with what you have in your singleness, it matters. And whenever we are not 
it's a burden because those things reveal the character and heart of God. Now what we see is that mankind is, man, we're, we're slick, right? That, that, that there are some options, right? If I walk in here with this big old backpack on me, I, I got some options, right? When it comes to the burden of guilt and sin, on the one hand, I can deny. I can try to deny and say, well, you know what? It's not that big of a deal. And you see me over here with bad posture, kind of rocking backwards about to fall. It's not a big deal. You're lying, right? It is a big deal that no one seeks after God, that all have fallen short of the glory of God. No one understands. Our throats are open graves. Our tongues deceive. Our feet are swift to shed blood. There is no fear of God before our eyes. Think about our own lives. We cannot sit here today and deny the fact that we're sinners. That's one of the beautiful things about Christianity. We can own that and come out of hiding. One way we try to deal with it is just to forget it. We think that as time goes on and that as we sort of forget what we have done or used to do, that somehow these things will magically disappear. It's still burden. We procrastinate in dealing with it. Oh, I have freedom. I'm young, right? I wanna have my fun in life. I want to explore the world. Look, look, look at Luke 15. The father had two sons and one left his house and one went and lived recklessly. But look how the story ends. Pastor L, he gets to come back home and the, and the father accepts him. I want some of that, right? I want some of that. What about the thief on the cross? The thief on the cross was a thief. And, and he like skated into glory. And I want to do some skating, right? I want to do what I want to do right now and, and skate on in at the last time. Here's the thing. Here's why that's dangerous. Because as much as the scriptures show the graciousness of God, scriptures also says things like Luke chapter 12, when the rich man kicks up his feet and he says, soul, kick back, relax. You got it. And you know what the gospel says? Fool. Tonight your soul is required of you. Like, like, think about that. Think about that image right there. That this guy thought that he could just kick it and he was going to have time, maybe. And Jesus says, no, tonight is the night. And you're going to die in your sins. How many times does scripture say, do not presume upon the Lord's patience. His patience and kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. And so the moment we get up here and try to say, you know what, I just want to do me and, and I'll, I'll, I'll get it together later. We don't understand how sin works. We don't understand Romans 1. That as we, 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 as we suppress the knowledge of truth, there is a hardening of the heart. As we suppress the knowledge of truth, there is less desire for the Lord. And Romans 1 speaks of the Lord giving people over after they had done that themselves. Amen. It's just dangerous. Okay, well, human effort. I know what I'll do. My good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds and I'll remove the burden with my own effort. I'll counter my sin by doing good. I will give to the poor. I will get involved in justice. I will come to church. I will sing. I will preach. And Jesus even says to preachers and teachers and gifted people, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. 
that makes your pastor tremble. In human effort, the burden remains. In procrastination, the burden remains. In thinking our sins are no more, the burdens remain. In denials, the burdens remain. Who then can bear the weight of our sin? We need outside help. We need a sin bearer. And thankfully, the same prophet who talks to us about what produces the burden when we see the holiness of God, he also shows us what God has done by himself to remove the burden of our sin and guilt. There's a better way. Now, in Isaiah 53, the word that is used the most is he, which is, it's, it is so weird, right? It's like, he? Really, in this, whole, in this whole chapter, like, he, look at it. I mean, you see it. Look at verse 2. For he grew up before him like a young plant. Look at verse 2. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. I won't go through every single verse, but you know what Isaiah is basically doing? We have a lot of sin, and there is only one sin bearer. He doesn't say they. He says he. Here's what he's saying. If you look up, if you were to open a phone book and look up who can bear the sins of the world, you would find that the worst thing you can imagine. There's only one name in the, in the phone book. That if you could Google who is the ultimate bearer of sin, you would not get a list of pages of people that can take away the sin. You would get a beautiful page that says, hey, it's only Jesus. You see, we're used to Googling stuff and having options, but when it comes to the Bible and when it comes to what Isaiah is saying, he is pointing the one who can bear sins to one person. And his name is Jesus. He. 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 Not they. He. This one man was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was numbered or counted as a transgressor. Well, what was he like, Isaiah? And this is, this is beautiful. This is 700 years before Isaiah not only gets a vision of the Lord on the throne, but Isaiah gets this vision of this coming Messiah who would come 700 years later. Like, it, it blows my mind that he can describe the cross of Christ and the person of Christ and the imputation of Christ's righteousness and the imputation of my sin to him in such a way that it almost reads like he wrote it out. After the fact, this is before, 700 years before. What was it like? In verse 9, he did no violence. There was no deceit in his mouth. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. He was silent, which means he took it. 
What did the weight of our sin do to this innocent one? In verse 5, he was crushed for our iniquities. Look at verse 8, his wounds, he was wounded. Look at verse 9, he was cut off from the land of the living. He was put in a grave with the wicked. He poured out his soul to death. I mean, think about the preciseness of this text. He is telling us he will be pierced and he will be stricken and he will be afflicted and he will die and he will suffer. And he would not open his mouth. Who put Christ to death? Verse four, he was smitten by God and afflicted by God. The Lord has laid upon him the sin of us all. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. The Lord has put him to grief. Think about this. That, that, that as much as we're talking about the disciples betraying Jesus, that is true. But what's equally true is that Jesus is being killed by his own father. It was the will of the Lord to do this. Now, that makes perfect sense, right, beloved? Because if the crushing weight and burden of our sins in light of the holiness of God, then that is the one that we have to deal with. Then it makes perfect sense that he in whom we sin against will then by himself decide where to place the judgment that we deserve and what the scriptures will say over and over and over again. Judgment for God's people was placed upon God's son. The Lord did this to him. What was his response? It says he did not open his mouth. What was the result in verse 10? He made an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring out of the anguish of his soul. He will see and be satisfied. Why? Because the righteous one, my servant, says the Lord, will make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Where did Paul get this idea of justification by faith alone in Christ alone? He did not make this up. He got this right from Isaiah. And when did this take place, beloved? During Passion Week on Good Friday when our Lord and Savior was beaten and wounded and struck and slaughtered on the cross by the Father, the terrifying, weighty glory of the Father descended upon the Son and it crushed Him. There's a book entitled Pilgrim's Progress. And in case you haven't read it, I want to make a plug for it especially the first six chapters. I mean, you can read all of it, but if you want to sort of frame it up and help you think about this week, just read chapters one through six. And, and, and it's written by a man by the name of John Bunyan. And outside of the English Bible, there is no other book written in English that has sold as many copies. So we're talking about tested and tried and true. It has been said of Charles Spurgeon that I think he read it a thousand times. I may be adding a zero, at least a hundred, right? <laughs> but here's what John Bunyan does. He says, I, I, I sat and I dreamed, and behold, I saw a man clothed with rags, standing in a certain place with his face from his own house, and there was a book in his hand, 
and a great burden on his back. And I looked and I saw him open the book and he read therein. And as he read, he wept and he trembled. And not being able to longer contain it, he break out with a lamentable cry. What shall I do with this great burden? My eyes have seen the Lord. And the entire book, or at least the first six chapters, they're, they're wrestling with this question. What shall, can, will Christian do to relieve himself of the burden on his back? And so Christian is mentioned numerous times. And every time he's mentioned, he's always talking about the burden on his back. And so he meets this person named Legality. And Legality says, he says, hey, what are you doing here? He says, this burden is on my back and it will sink me lower to the grave. And if I am not fit to go to prison, then why do I think I am fit to go to judgment and go to hell? You get, he's like, man, I can't even go serve time in prison, right? And you go, how am I going to stand before a holy God? And so he says, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to get the burden off my back. And he says, thinking about it makes me cry. And legality says, well, do you have a wife and, a child, and children? Are they of comfort to you? He says, yes, they are, but I'm also so loaded down with this burden that I can't even find pleasure in them as I used to. I want to be free of this burden, but I can't take it off myself, nor is there anyone in our country who can take it off of my shoulders. And that is why, sir, I left my country to find help. And he meets another man, a man named Goodwill, and Goodwill says to him, concerning your burden, be content to bear it until you come to the place of deliverance and there it will fall off of your back by itself. And then in chapter six, Pilgrim reaches the place of deliverance and he went to the elevated place and there was a cross there and below the cross was a tomb. And as Christian made his way to the cross, his burden came loose and it fell from his shoulders and fell off of his back and it tumbled and it tumbled and it tumbled until it fell in the tomb and he saw it no more. And here is what Christian said. He sang this, thus far did I come burdened with my sin Nothing could ease the grief that was within until I came here. What place is this? Here is the beginning of my eternal bliss. Here the burden did fall from my back. Here did the strong strings that bound it to me crack. Blessed cross, blessed tomb, blessed rather be the man that was put to shame for me. What a beautiful picture, Christian. That our sins, they're heavy. And the judgment of God is real. But there is a place that we can go where the burdens fall down. Never to be put back up again. And the place of that is the cross of Christ. And so if you're here tonight and you're burdened by your sins, there's one place to take them. And that's to Jesus. And if you're here tonight and you're in that loop of denying and suppressing and thinking that, man, I I'm not that bad. 
I pray the Holy Spirit will give you a glimpse of the glory of God and put in motion a series of steps that leads to the saving of your soul and the lightening of that burden. And that is good news. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, what a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful truth. Your son, the burden bearer, was afflicted and smitten for your people. You did not make us to carry 80 tons, a half of a ton. Neither did you make us to carry the crushing weight of our sin. Might we see that there is one strong enough and beautiful enough and righteous enough who says, give it to me. I'll take it and I'll bury it and you'll see it no more. That's our prayer and that's our hope. In Christ's name we pray, amen.